0: And last week we talked about the benefit of problems. And uh, I had it printed out and then walked off and left it on my desk. But uh, I hope you never forget that there are some benefits to adversity in our lives. Somebody say amen. And so if you from time to time need to be reminded, and and maybe you didn't take copious notes. Maybe you just filed it away in your head. Uh, But I... I hope that from time to time, if you need to be encouraged by that again, you'll go to the podcast and uh, listen to the podcast, The Benefit of Problems, because God is is building something now to assemble a little later. He's doing something in me now that he will ultimately perfect in the near future. And uh, so we heard a lot about that last week. And then with, that, with that in mind, I want to close this, uh, these lessons that we've done on Wednesday night about fighting frictions. I, I, I guess I've chosen for my subject tonight the friction of faith. The friction of faith. If you're going to believe certain things, there's always going to be a counterbalance to that faith. There's always going to be a place where the enemy tries to inject doubt in your mind. There's going to be a season where you're going to have to decide whether your faith stands on the, on the rock Christ Jesus or it stands on wisdom of men, the ingenuity of men, the slickness of men, the coolness of men. Your faith cannot stand in things that are temporal. And uh, that causes from time to time friction in our lives. Uh, When we believe God for certain things And they don't happen the way we want them to happen A prayer may not be answered Or God speaks to us in a moment Of spiritual uh, uh, communion And we hear God say to us I've called you to the ministry Or I want you to do this or do that And then as life goes forward Uh complications arise and things happen in our lives that we think God's word to me a long time ago is way too far-fetched to ever come to pass. I feel very deeply about what I'm going to say to you tonight and I want—I would pray that you would receive it with meekness the engrafted word and I just want you to join me before we enter the word and just pray that God would speak to you would you do that right now Lord I pray you would touch, to, touch every heart talk to every heart Lord I pray that our hearts would be open to what you desire to say and do in all of us tonight let there be a, a spirit of encouragement and challenge and uplifting Lord of your word in the congregation of the saints I praise you for it Lord for what you're going to do in the next few moments Now, let the word be quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword in Jesus' name. We praise you for it. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The friction of faith. Now, if I was going to put a tagline on this sermon, or if you want uh, a little more, uh, a little deeper meaning to where I'm going tonight, I guess as I journey along here tonight, I'm going to talk to you about. The most crucial part of the journey. The most crucial part of the journey. Would you say that with me? The most crucial part of the journey. And I'm talking about our journey of faith. I'm not talking about the trip to grandma's house on Christmas Eve. I'm I'm not talking about the trip brother Todd would take in in a... in a tractor trailer, I'm, I'm not talking about a trip you take to vacation. And you could bring some analogies about what what a dangerous part of the trip is or what the most crucial part. I'm talking about our journey of faith, the most crucial portion of that journey. Somebody say amen. amen. And I want to begin tonight in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Now this is going to be an odd couple of verses beginning tonight, but it's uh, as I was Already had the the meat of what I was going to say tonight together, and the Lord just dropped this in my heart today. But Matthew twenty four, beginning with verse fifteen, when ye there, this is Jesus speaking. If I say this is Jesus speaking, uh, and he's been asked some questions about uh, the uh, prophecy and about the fulfillment of prophecy and about when the end will come. And Jesus is responding to that in Matthew chapter twenty four. Because of a statement he made about the temple. In fact, early in that chapter, he makes a statement about the temple, and he said, "I want to tell you that not one of these stones will be left upon the other." So in response to that, the disciples uh, are interested in why he would talk about the temple being destroyed, and they begin to ask him about the time frame, about to say, the time frame. And so Jesus begins to speak to the disciples in reference to this conversation, and I'm taking it up about midway through the conversation, and he states in verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place, and then the addendum of the author, whosoever readeth, and he's talking about Daniel, whoever reads Daniel, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which be on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck or are nursing in those days. But pray ye, you ought to pray that this day or this flight would be not in winter, Neither on the Sabbath day, because that's hard days to travel. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world till this time. No, nor ever shall be. I'm about to say it's going to get bad. Yeah. Verse 22. In fact, it's going to get worse than it's ever been. Verse 22 And except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, oh, thank God. But for somebody's sake, those days will be shortened. And I appreciate that, and I'm thankful for what these verses say. And Jesus says, when asked about what when this end is going to come, he says, when you see what Daniel spoke about, then you better hurry. You better hurry to such a degree that if you're on the top of your house, Don't go back down to your bedroom and get your clothes out of your dresser. If you're in the field, don't go back to get your luggage. Uh, Don't go down into your house to gather food. In fact, when you see this happen, you better make haste and you better leave quick. Because uh, it's, it's, it's a necessity that what's about to happen, some of the worst days this world has ever experienced are about to fall upon humanity. And the Lord says don't hesitate. Get after it. Amen. It's not time to pause in the doorway. It's not time to decide whether you really want to escape or whether this is really what's going on. He said, you need to make up your mind and you need to get after it. Somebody say amen. And then he gives us an admonition that those days will be shortened for the elect's sake. Now that Mention of Daniel actually is a verse, a number of verses in Daniel chapter 9. I want to read them as we go along here tonight. Jesus said when you see this happen and he was speaking about Daniel, everybody say Daniel. So it's important we read what Daniel said because Jesus referred to it as being just before some of the worst days the world has ever seen. And in Daniel 9, 27, it says, and he shall confirm the covenant, and the he there, notice it's not capitalized, it's not speaking of divinity or God, it's speaking of the Antichrist who's, who he's already talked about. So I'm taking this uh, in mid-subject, mid, mid he's talking about the Antichrist, and he says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, everybody say one week. And we find right there the significance of that 70th week of Daniel, and I'm not going to get into all that, but there's 70 weeks determined on God's people. 69 of them have been fulfilled, and the last one we find right here, spoken of in Daniel 9, 27. That week is not seven days, it is seven years. 70 weeks have I appointed unto my people, 69 of them are complete. There's one more week that God is going to deal with his people, and that's soon to come. And the Lord says, quoting Daniel, he says, when you see what Daniel talks about, you better get after it. When you see what Daniel's talking about, you better know that you're just at the end of your journey. You better know that everything you believed in and hoped for and prayed for, you ought to know that it's right at the door. Somebody say Amen. And he says, this man shall confirm a covenant for one week. Now, that's seven years. But in the middle of that week, and we know what that is, that's right in the middle of a seven-year period, he will cause the sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. So this is speaking of the temple, and this is speaking of Israel. So evidently, this man is going to make an agreement with Israel to sacrifice, and halfway through a seven-year period, he's going to cause that sacrifice to stop and the Bible says he's gonna cause it to cease, and for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. In other words, uh, this is gonna be a turning point. Everybody say a turning point. So Jesus says when you see that abomination that Daniel spoke about, don't come down from your rooftop to go back to your house. Don't go back and get your clothes. Pray that it's not too cold to travel Because it's time to get up and get out I want to tell you Jesus Christ is coming back He's coming back very soon I'm I'm aware aware tonight in light of what has happened in the last few weeks That I want to address uh, this congregation tonight About the most crucial part of the journey I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for being baptized with his spirit and baptized in water. I believe John 3 tells us that you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. I believe you must be baptized. In fact, Jesus said uh, "You, those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. So baptism cannot be just an act of mental assent. You need to be baptized in water. You must be born of the water and of the spirit and you must be filled with the spirit of God. It's very important. But that's not the most crucial part of the journey. Even the consummation of my journey, when I hear the trumpet sound, that's not the most crucial part of the journey. I believe what happens between when I get saved and when I am ultimately saved, when I hear him say, well done, I believe the crucial part of the journey falls between those two parentheses somewhere. I believe somewhere in my walk with God there's a crucial point in the journey. The point of no return. Somebody say amen. And in light of what has happened in the last week or so, uh, this is why I'm sharing with you and and I already had uh, the, the meat of this message prepared tonight about what I was going to speak to you about, but the Lord just dealt with me this afternoon. I don't know if any of you heard the 70-plus-minute speech by our Secretary of State, John Kerry, today at the State Department. But in light of what he said, I want to bring this to your attention because you may not have heard any of it, or you may, not have, you may have heard excerpts of it. But let me say to you, just for, for your understanding tonight, in 1948... Israel became a nation. In 2018, listen closely, that will mark 70 years from when that happened. The Lord speaking about Israel as of a fig tree, he said this generation shall not pass until you see all things consummated. I want to tell you we are living close to the coming of the Lord. And if you want to draw straws or split hairs about when that happened or how long a generation is, let me throw something else in the mix for you. In 1967, Israel, now that was a nation and had been for 29 years or or 19 years, Israel took control of Jerusalem in what's called the Six-Day War in 1967. This next year will mark 50 years since that happened. So I'm not sure which one of those is the fig tree, but I want to tell you we're getting close to the coming of the Lord. Those two things has already happened. But the present conflict now is not over Israel's right, well, for some it may be, Israel's right to be a nation. And there may be some friction about whether they have a right to Jerusalem as a capital. But the present friction is over Jerusalem being shared and the holy sites of that city being shared. In fact, today our Secretary of State said that there can be no peace in the Middle East without a two-state solution. And and what that means is a state for the Arabs and a state for the Jewish nation. the state for the Palestinians and a state for the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation already has a state, but the Palestinians have not been recognized as a state. Our Secretary of State, who is uh, three weeks outgoing, decided it was time to make a statement about Middle East peace. And in that statement, he began to set down some principles and I was driving with Shayla, and I said, now this is where we really need to listen because he he may say some very important things here. And the first thing he said that had to happen uh, for there to be a Middle East peace was that Israel was to withdraw from the territory that it gained in the 1967 war. Basically, that means you cannot have Jerusalem anymore. Principle two was to adhere to the UN resolution that was passed many years ago, 181, which calls for two states and two peoples, one Jewish and one Palestinian. The third principle was that the solution, there needed to be a solution about the Palestinian refugee crisis and how they were being handled and driven out of their homes, and I understand that. But when he got to point number four, principle number four, I wanted to remember it in such a fashion. So I, I, when I got here, uh, arrived here and got to the office. I I found a transcript of it, and I wanted to quote it. So I'll quote our Secretary of State in his context of speaking about peace in the Middle East, and he states principle four, and I begin to quote. Principle four, provide an agreed solution for Jerusalem as the internationally recognized capital of the two states and protect and ensure freedom of access, listen, to the holy sites consistent with the established status quo. That means both nations will have privilege at the recognized holy sites. I keep on quoting. Now Jerusalem is the most sensitive issue for both sides and the solution will have to meet the needs not only of the parties but of all three monotheistic faiths. That is why the holy sites that are sacred to billions of people around the world must be protected and remain accessible and the established status maintained. That simply means, to translate, he says all three of those faiths have a right to the Temple Mount. He goes on to say most acknowledge that, that Jerusalem should not be divided again like it was in 1967, and we believe that. At the same time, there is broad recognition that there will be no peace agreement without reconciling the basic aspirations of both sides to have capitals there. Your Bible says that there will be an agreement made that will allow Israel to sacrifice on the Temple Mount again. Your Bible says there will be an agreement that in the middle of a period of time that agreement will be broken for some reason. And the breaking of that agreement is the abomination that Daniel spoke about. And then Jesus said the world will enter such a terrible time, it will be known as the great tribulation. I want you to know we are right at the door of that happening. Never have we been closer to an agreement that two peoples can worship on that temple mount than we are right now in our history. So I've come to this pulpit to talk about the journey. I want to tell you, saints of God, the bride is making herself ready. I'm going to say it again. The bride is making herself ready. Now, some of you are playing the fool and you're <laughs> you're, you're going to play around until you think right at the last minute you're going to jump in here and pray through. I want to tell you, there's a group of people here that are getting ready. And they're not making any bones about it and they're not making any excuses about it. And they don't care what the world thinks about it and it may not be popular, but they're gonna make themselves ready. They're not trying to act like the world, walk like the world, be like the world, participate in what the world is participating in. There is a bride that has heard the call and she's making herself ready. Anybody know what I'm saying here tonight? Now you can play around if you want to, but I want to tell you the Lord is coming and he's coming soon. We are in the most crucial hour of the journey right now. We are coming to the last few miles of a long journey. Never is it more important, no matter the frictions or the adversities or the trials, never is it more important than now to hold on to your faith. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't hear me. Never is it more important than right now to hold on to what you believe. Never is it more important than right now to not bail out and say, I'm tired of serving God. Now's the time to run like you've never run before. Now's the time to pray like you've never prayed before. Now's the time to worship like you've never worshipped before. Now's the time to be around the altar instead of heading to the bathroom. You're in the most crucial part of the journey right now. I'll clap your hands unto the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've made up my mind to make it all the way. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. I want to read you the words of one of our uh, one of our ancestors of the faith. He's in prison writing this. He doesn't have enough food. He doesn't have enough clothes. His eyesight's going bad, and the list goes on and on. But listen to what he says. Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I don't have enough clothes to stay warm, and I don't have a doctor to look at my eyes, and I don't have enough paper to write. Uh, Bring me some when you come. But he said, I tell you what I do have enough of. I have kept my faith. I haven't lost what I believe I may not be in the best of circumstances but I still have my faith verse 8 henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me on that day isn't that wonderful but I like the next part, but not to me only. This is not an exclusive award. He said he's not only gonna give it to me, but to all of those that love his appearing. Keep the faith, saint of God. Sickness is gonna rise. Difficulty is gonna be multiplied. Trouble is gonna rise on every side. People are gonna forsake the truth and walk out on God. But you just hold on. Oh. We're in the most crucial hour of the journey right now. Oh, come on, praise the Lord right now. Anybody glad you're serving Jesus? Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord for a minute. Hallelujah, hallelujah. First Peter chapter one, verse five. He's talking about somebody that's kept. And I believe that's the elect. I believe that's the church. Everybody say, we're kept. Amen. I want to tell you why you're here tonight. You've been kept by the power of God. I want to tell you why you're breathing tonight. You've been kept by the power of God. I want you to know why you have your faith tonight. It's not because you just believe something. It's because God has kept you by his power. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1.5 who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen to that. It's hidden until the last time. Nobody sees it until the last time. No, you're not hearing me. They are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. In other words, those that are saved are gonna remain hidden until the last time. And then all of a sudden, they're gonna burst forth and shine like never before. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh hallelujah I want to tell you folks It's time to understand That there's a crucial part of the journey Yes I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost And yes it's not going to be long That the light is going to burst forth I'm not going to be what I used to be I'm going to be changed in a moment In the twinkling of an eye But I want to tell you Until that day comes I'm going to keep on believing In the secret moments I'm going to keep on being faithful When nobody's watching I'm going to keep on unbelieving. yes, sir. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Oh, Hallelujah! Verse six, wherein you greatly rejoice. If you're ready tonight, you got a right to rejoice. You got a right to get up on your feet. I I don't know if it was all the Christmas food or whatever, but I had a dream the other night when I was in a denominational church. I won't. I know where the church is. I know exactly where it is, and I know who the pastor is. I won't tell you it was, because they may listen to the podcast. But I was in a denominational church in this community, and we were in some kind of service, and I was there. And the Holy Ghost hit me so strong, I got up and started running the aisles and shouting back and forth across the front of the church. And I told Cheryl, I said, I felt like an idiot because everybody was sitting there looking at me. But it was like fire on me. I couldn't help it. I was shouting and worshiping God. And You know what? We've got a right to rejoice. (laughs) We greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, for a season, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Listen, it's not wrong to feel heavy. It's not wrong to have a season of heaviness that says, you know what, I'm going through the test. I'm going through the trial. But don't you forget verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being more, much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise. Listen, you know what that means? No matter what happens, keep on believing. No matter what happens, keep on walking. No matter what happens, keep on praying. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord right now. Praise God. Come on, some of you's got heaviness on you. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanna tell you, there's a better day coming. You're in the most crucial point of the journey right now. Right now. Well, somebody praise him right now. Praise God. So let me share with you what God laid on my heart to share with you. The friction, everybody say the friction. Each of us have expectations. Each of us can expect that God's dealings with us will be in harmony with His ways. He's faithful. In other words, His ways are He's holy, He's faithful, He cannot lie. He wants us to know these ways, He wants us to know that He's faithful. Because there are gonna be things happen on the journey that if you don't know his ways, they are gonna confuse you. Let me give you an example. Psalms 95, verse 10. Forty years was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Everybody say 40 years. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Israel in the wilderness. And he said, you know what? All that stuff that happened to them, I was trying to get them to know who I was. That Red Sea that they got to griping about, and I led them through it, I wanted them to know I was their savior. When they ran out of water, and I caused water to come out of that rock, I wanted them to know I was their water. When they, had sacri- when they had killed all their cows and their goats and their lambs and they had no food left and I sent them bread every morning I wanted them to know I was their provider but they never saw it all they saw was we get the same food every day all they saw was we're not eating cucumbers like we used to all they saw was this is a tough journey listen saints of God I don't care how tough it gets you need to recognize that you're in the last mile of the journey and God wants you not to be confused he's faithful he cannot lie what he said he will do. He's never gonna leave me nor forsake me. He'll go to the end of the age with me. So what, is, what was God trying to show Israel in the wilderness? He was trying to show them his ways. Everybody say his ways. But I've noticed what happens with God and I hasten to a close. Uh, God is more concerned with us becoming like him in, in character than he is in our doing good works and having a nice life. He wants us to be like him. So he needs a time of waiting. It, it's, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but in the Bible, God would speak to people about what it, the purpose he had for their life. And, and, and I'll bring you some examples, but let, let me also dare you to think about what God has said to you about your life and what he wants to do with your life. And yes, life gets complicated. And yes, you make decisions that you look back and say, well you know what, that's going to kind of put a stop to what God said at youth camp or youth convention or at church or, you know, I felt this or I felt that and it's just not ever going to happen. Every, in, I'm going to bring you some examples, but in every one of these instances, there was a time when God dealt with somebody and they by faith received what God said. But after he said it, There was a time when it looked like all that God said was lost. (laughs) And the most crucial part of the journey of faith was not in the exciting moment when God said, I'm gonna do this. Nor was it in the exciting moment when God finally did it. The crucial part of the journey was that time of death to your expectations and how you thought God was gonna do it. God said, I want you to do this and in your head, you started making up how he was gonna do it and sometimes when that doesn't happen like you think it ought to, you get discouraged and you feel like quitting. There are people in this, oh, I'm in the Holy Ghost. There are people in this room right now that God has said stuff to you about what he wants to do with your life. But you're in that in-between period when now it requires, you can't walk by sight. You've gotta walk by faith. It doesn't feel like it used to. When you were at the altar and God said it, you don't feel that fire anymore. You're in the most crucial part of the journey. It's when you just gotta put one foot in front of the other and say, I know what God said and I'm not gonna back up and I'm not gonna quit and I'm not gonna forfeit it and I'm not gonna lose my faith. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I wanna say something to you. Don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Listen. Listen real good. Never doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. Don't you ever doubt in the moments of darkness what God said to you when you were in the light of his presence. Because most times it happens like this. Each of us, God creates us with a special purpose. God wants to reveal it to us because he's got a lot invested in us. So when we uh, move by faith and respond to God and the call of God and we dedicate ourselves in time God shows us to some degree what he wants to do with our lives. It's overwhelming. It's miraculous. It's like there's no way it can happen. I'm preaching to those tonight, tonight in this room that think because years have passed that those are wasted. <laughs> but they're not wasted. It's happened all through the scripture and it's happening to you right now. You're in the most crucial part of the journey because God shows you things that he wants to do. But then he gives you a time where your expectations and all of your efforts are brought to nothing. And then when there is no other way for what God said was gonna happen to happen, all of a sudden, supernaturally, Not by your efforts, by any means. But all of a sudden, God does what he said in the first place. You say, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Let me say to you, the most crucial part of the journey between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, that's the most crucial part of the journey. Let me give you a few examples. Abraham. Abraham answered the call of God. And because he responded by faith, God said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. (laughs) Oh, how powerful and awesome that is for a man to hear. I'm gonna make you a great nation. But then Sarah becomes barren. And there is no way that he can have an heir. So he tries to do it himself with Ishmael. And there is a gap of years between the promise and when Isaac was born that Abraham had to flesh out what he believed. No, you weren't gonna live at youth convention. No, you can't stay at the altar. You gotta go back to work. You gotta address the problems that come to your life. You gotta deal with the mistakes you made. But God still is gonna do what he said He's going to do. Just believe. Just hold on. And with Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And the Bible says in Hebrews that when Abraham was as good as dead, that God did what he said he was going to do. I thank God that he did. But the most crucial part of the journey for Abraham was not when he was on that high that I'm going to be a great nation. And not the morning Isaac was born. The crucial part of the journey was what you do between the two. Must I remind you of Joseph who had a vision as a young boy that he would be a great leader one day and that people would be bowing to him. He was sold though and enslaved and falsely accused and put into prison. And for 21 years he languished with a dead promise, some might say. But somewhere in Joseph's heart, he never let the vision die. He said, I know it looks bad and I know things aren't happening like I thought they would, but I'm not gonna let go of the dream God gave me. I may be in prison, but I'm going to be faithful. I may be falsely accused, but I'm going to be faithful. I may be sold by my brethren, but I'm going to be faithful. Yeah, Joseph. In fact, that's the most crucial part of the journey. It's what you do with the dream God put on you. In that waiting time between when God said it and when he does it, that's when the rubber really meets the road. Anybody can check out because it doesn't happen like they thought it should. Anybody can say, well, forget the dream when they're sold out by their own brethren. Anybody can forget the dream when the when the false accusations fall. But I want to tell you, God knows how to bring Joseph out of prison and put him at the right place at the right time. And eight years later, his own brothers walk in and bow before him. And Joseph states in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that as soon as those boys bowed that Joseph remembered the dream that God had given him. Don't let it die, saints. Don't let your faith fall victim to your expectations. I know things don't work out like you thought they should but hey God said it he's going to bring it to pass. I want to say something to you there are men and women in this church that God called you to ministry that God laid effective ministry on your heart and you have made decisions that you think I can never reverse those things I'm preaching to you tonight you're in the most crucial part of the journey don't ever quit on what God promised promised. promised you. Don't ever fail to believe that what God called you to do, he's able to perform in your life. Oh, let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Must I remind you of Moses? Must I remind you of Moses? I just need a piano player, Sister Sheriff. if you wouldn't mind coming. Must I remind you of Moses that had a vision of leading Israel out of Egypt. You remember that? I've come to set God's people free. And he knew he was the deliverer. He knew that. And the Bible tells us that in a moment he, you know how he took things into his own hands. He killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, thinking probably in his own mind, we're going to get out of here. The people are going to anoint me to be their leader. We're going to rise, uh, raise a rebellion and we're going to break the yoke of bondage and we're going to get out of Egypt. But see, yeah, God had called you to deliver, Moses, but he didn't call you to do it your way. <laughs> he called you to do it his way. He called you to the most crucial part of the journey, just walking with God every day. And Moses had that vision of leading God's people. And when he killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand and Israel didn't respond like he thought they should, he was driven out of Egypt. Do you remember how many years he was away from Egypt? The first 40, he was in Egypt. The middle 40 of his life, he was in a wilderness. And the last 40, he was leading Israel out of Egypt. His life is comprised of three 40s. And right in the middle, the first part is God called you to be a deliverer. The last part is you are the deliverer with God's help. The most crucial part is that middle time. When you don't know what God's doing and you're following around a bunch of sheep and you're broken. In fact, when God finally speaks to him 40 years later, everybody say 40 years later. No, it doesn't happen overnight. God said it a long time ago. But 40 years later, God said, Moses. And Moses says, Here I am. The Lord says, take off your shoes, you're on the holy ground. He said, I want, you to go, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. I want you to go tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, I cannot go. I cannot, I am slow to speak. Some say he stuttered. Uh, whatever it is, he, he wasn't like this 40 years before. He is a psychologically broken man. He, he's not proud and arrogant, and I'm the best thing Israel's got as a hope, and he's not, I'm the savior of all. No, he doesn't even think he's worthy anymore. You see, the crucial part of the journey is when God is taking you through the fire. I'm preaching to somebody that hadn't responded too well. It got tough, and it's getting tougher by the minute, and you want your head spinning. And I'm telling you, God has got you in the most crucial part of the journey. What He said, He's not lying about. What you felt was not a figment of your imagination. What He said to you was not Him being wicked to you. He's calling you tonight. I feel impressed to the Holy Ghost to preach what I'm preaching tonight. Moses was raised up by God, by the hand of God. You see, there's always a time when God gives you a vision. And then the vision dies because of your expectations and how you think it ought to work out. And then God brings it to pass. What is it in your life that's died? What is it in your life the expectations are just about dashed and ruined? Because there's no way it can happen now. Too much water under the bridge, too many mistakes made. The Spirit's calling you tonight. I'm I wish one saint of God that felt the burden of this message with their pastor that would at least pray a silent prayer and say Lord touch my pastor I'm talking to somebody right now that's at the point of giving up and you've been called of God and you're messing around and, and, and your pastor's disturbed about it seemingly more disturbed than you are you're in the most crucial point of your journey and you think God's forgotten you and he's not even listening to you if you will hold on to your faith you are just about to see what God has promised you all along come on why don't you reach out to the Lord why don't you believe him now come on why don't you believe him now I trust you Lord hey think about it The disciples had their idea and their vision about the Messiah. Everybody say Messiah. Messiah. My brother-in-law was telling me this week, we went to my wife's folks and we were sitting around just, we haven't done much but talk and eat, so. Chuck was telling me about going to Israel. He took a trip to the Holy Land. They were just outside of Jerusalem and their tour guide uh, they were just outside of Jerusalem, they were looking over Jerusalem and they could see the Mount of Olives and they could see the Eastern Gate. And he was showing them what was going on. He said, now look on the Mount of Olives. He said, you see all those stones? And they said, yeah, he said, that's all grave plots. That's all, uh, uh, c- that's a cemetery, it's, it's graves. And he said, those grave plots go from 150 to $200,000 a piece. He said, you know why that Mount of Olives is littered with graves of Jews and they're paying close to $200,000 for one grave plot? He said, every one of them believe that if they're buried on the Mount of Olives, they're gonna have a front row seat. And Chuck said, what do you mean? He said, well, our Messiah is gonna come back and his feet are gonna touch that Mount of Olives and all those that are in those graves are gonna come out. And he said, they pay that much money so they'll have the front row seat. And he he said, now look over there at the eastern gate, and the eastern gate is concreted shut. You can't even, it doesn't even operate. In fact, it's just big stone with mortar, and they closed it off. And right outside the eastern gate, there's another cemetery. He said, you see all those grave plots over there? He said, those are Muslims. He said they bought that area and they're they're burying their dead right outside the eastern gate. And the reason they do that is because they believe that our Messiah, who the prophet said will come through that eastern gate, he he said they they buried their dead there because they want to keep the Messiah from coming through that gate. They said because they believe that he will not come through that gate or he would be defiled by the dead in that cemetery. And he said, but I want you to know that when the time comes, our Messiah is coming through that eastern gate. The dead in that place are not going to stop him. He's, he's got the power of death. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Chuck told him, he said, hey, I want you to know something. He said, you know what? When your Messiah comes through that eastern gate, he said, I'm going to be with him. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I want to be with him too. <laughs> And so I don't want you to ever forget these disciples, these Jews have this in their head right now. They believe their Messiah is coming. The disciples believe that. They believe their Messiah was coming and when Jesus came, they knew this is him. But have you ever, when the mother of James and John said, Lord, would you let my boy sit on your left hand and right hand, you know what she was saying? You're fixing to overthrow Rome. You're fixing to set up an earthly kingdom. This is every Jew's hope that the Messiah's coming to deliver them. And they thought he was going to show up, run the Romans out, and set up a kingdom. But what happened? He was betrayed. In the middle of the night, they came and took him. He was incarcerated. They scattered like a bunch of ants and bugs. They watched the guy they thought... Was their Messiah be killed on a cross? See, the most crucial hour of the journey is what you do when it's not turning out like you thought it should. Help us, Lord, to hold on to our faith. Need I remind you of the little boy with the lunch? His mom sent him with a lunch. The only overindulgent mother in the crowd. Nobody else had a lunch. One boy had a lunch. He was gonna enjoy his mom's tuna fish sandwich. And what happened? His lunch was taken. Anybody ever had your lunch money stolen? His lunch was taken by Andrew, one of those Messiah's guys, came and took my sack lunch. And you know what happened? What he thought was lost when it got in the hands of Jesus, it was multiplied, and there was 12 baskets left over when everybody got done with dinner. See, the most crucial part of the journey is what you do between your faith being so high and, and the fulfillment of the promise. Well, what about when it's not turning out like you thought? Must I remind you of Jesus speaking about a grain of wheat? He says, except it die. It's got to be put in the ground and die and rot. And when it dies, when that spring sunshine begins to, to shine, that dead, rotting seed gives birth to brand new life. What happens between when God calls me and and the fulfillment of God's calling or when God moves on me or God tells me don't worry, but yet I I don't have any, I've got all kind of reasons to worry or the Lord says I'm gonna take care of it, but it doesn't look like he's taking care of it. Listen, I've got an alternative. There's an alternative. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Don't marvel. Don't be surprised. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose ends shall be according to their works. Look at that. The alternative of what I'm talking about tonight is 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 Satan or one of his ministers coming to you as an angel of light and saying to you, Oh, I know God said it, but he didn't mean it. You go on and live your life. You do what you want. All that sacrifice and obedience and faith, oh, that's for all the old folks. You go do what you want. You go do your thing. See, that's the alternative. And some of you are taking the alternative. But I'm calling you back tonight to a place of faith. Faith is going to produce friction. There's going to be sickness that challenges my faith. I know God can do anything. But the doctor says we can't do anything for him. And I read that verse that those things are impossible with me and are possible with God. And so I hold on to every promise. Oh, it's easier to shout when God heals them. But what about the man that says, you know what? Even when I don't understand it, I still believe. You all know this verse of scripture. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse five. It's the reason our church believes in gender distinction. And we believe that God wants us to be gender uh, peculiar. We believe God believes or desires gender distinction. And in Deuteronomy 22 and 5, it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord, or detestable unto the Lord thy God. That means God honors sexual distinction. Don't you ever forget it. But we all know that one and we quote it. We quote it to each other. But does anybody know what the next verse says? The next verse. No, because I didn't either. But verse six says, if a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs and the dam or the mother sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam, and that's the mother with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days. Now that's pretty interesting. He just talked about gender distinction. Now he's talking about a bird on her nest. But I want to read the New Living Translation and it states this. If you happen to find a bird's nest in a tree or on the ground and there are young ones or eggs in it with the mother sitting in the nest, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young but let the mother go so that you may prosper and enjoy a long life. I wonder how many people died early because they killed the mother. It said, when you find a mother, you can take the young or the eggs, but you let the mother go so that you may have a long life. Why did God say not to take the mother? Well, To put it bluntly, it simply is a reward of faithfulness. Because that mother bird saw you coming long before you saw her. She saw you before you ever knew the nest was there. And she stayed on that nest. She could have flew away. She could have said, I'm gonna save my hide at least. But that mother, in spite of your approach, before you ever saw her, she knew you were coming. And she fought back every fear to abandon her post and said, no, I'm staying put. And the Lord said, even in a bird that says, I'm gonna keep on being fake, even faithfulness in a bird, God said, don't you touch her because your long life depends on how you honor faithfulness. Saints of God, if almighty God honors faithfulness in a bird, how much more does he honor saints of God that are called by his name and washed in his blood How much more will he say? Come on, you can make it. Don't give up. Don't abandon your post. Don't leave now. Come on, I'm calling you back to faith. I'm calling you back to repentance. I'm calling you back to the fire. Oh, come on, let's stand together and worship Jesus right now. Come on. Come on, let's worship him. Come on, lift your voice. I'm not gonna give up, I've come too far. The race is almost over. Come on, you're in the most crucial part of the journey. Oh yeah, the greatest example of what I'm saying tonight a great promise. Everybody say great promise. great promise. A time of testing. Everybody say a time of testing. And everybody say a supernatural fulfillment. Yeah. The greatest example of what I'm saying to you tonight. I must remind you where I began this sermon tonight. Jesus is coming back. He said it. John fourteen 3, Don't you ever forget it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said it. I'm thankful. I'm encouraged by it. But that great apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says, I want you to know something. I want you to know it first. Don't forget this is the first thing you need to remember. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. They decided themselves not to believe. They made themselves ignorant. They said, I'm not going to believe that. And Peter said, know this. Jesus said he's coming. But there's going to be a time when people are not going to believe that. That's the most crucial part of the journey. Jesus said it. He's coming back. But what about all those people that are living like he's not? What about all the backslidden young men and young ladies in this room right now that are living like he's not? Oh, I know you say you believe he's coming, but you've made yourself willingly ignorant of what Jesus said he was going to do. He's coming back. And for this, you need to be ready. The most crucial part of the journey is not what when Jesus said it, and not when it's fulfilled. For I want to tell you something, it's going to be fulfilled. First Thessalonians 4 verse 13. But I would not have you, see, these scoffers, they are willingly ignorant, right? But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive shall be caught up together. He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. The most crucial part of the journey is right now. Come on, anybody wanna make your salvation sure? Anybody wanna say, I'm gonna believe? Come on, come on, the altar's open. Come on, everybody in this church that wants to be ready, the altar's open. Lord, give me my faith back. Lord, don't let me lose my faith in this hour. Don't let me get distracted in this moment.